The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Chris Sheeran Show. We're going to start off with a guest again. How do you like that, Lou? Back-to-back jacks. Back-to-back jacks. One jack. Well, one jack, one Glenn. Yes. Any Glenn. Any Glenn will do. Not in this case. Glenn Livett, Glenn (laughs) Fittich, any Glenn will do. Ding. It's actually Glenn Naughton uh, joining us. Uh, JetNation.com, one of our... Uh, affiliate, affiliate partners, partners, if partners you will. for yes. yesnetwork.com and Glenn we appreciate you coming on thanks buddy thanks for having me guys always a pleasure uh, first things first I just want to throw this out there as like a generic overview of what the Jets have coming up this week because if you look at it on paper uh, it's a big time trap game because they have the Redskins this week uh, if I was in California by the way I couldn't say Redskins because Jerry Brown made it illegal to say that <laughs> Uh, out in California, but they take on the Redskins, um, and then they have the Patriots up in New England the following week. So is this a game? uh, Let me take care of the post-game press conference uh, for their head coach, Todd Bowles. Uh, There there are no moral victories. We should have won today. That's something I I could definitely hear him saying, but how much of this game this week against Washington is a trap game? Well, uh, you know, that's a really good point. Uh, This is a team that I hate to say this because I felt the same way going up against the Eagles and that, you know, you look at the way this Washington team is playing right now and and there's no way the Jets should lose this game, Uh, especially with having having Sheldon Richardson coming back. You know, who knows? It's all speculation at this point. Um, I'm really anxious to see, I know a lot of Jets fans are, how Todd Bowles is going to employ all these defensive linemen. Uh, you can only get so many on the field at one time, but he's done things in Arizona where he's had, you know, five linemen and two linebackers. So I wouldn't be shocked if we see something like that. I, just, I don't see this Washington team being able to move the football against the Jets, but at the same time, this is, a, as you pointed out, with New England coming up, you know, not that far down the road, you don't want this team looking too far ahead and putting them in a position where they, where they come up short against a, an inferior team, really. I mean, I, again, I don't – that Washington's running game has been inconsistent. They, you know, they have some good receivers, but, but at the same time, these, these Jets corners, teams aren't, teams aren't getting open against these guys. So looking at the Redskins' offense, I don't see how they move the ball, but, you, you know, it's the NFL. We say it all the time. It's why you play the games. Uh, Jets were a big underdog going, to, going up against the Colts. I mean, not a big, but a seven-point underdog, and they, they end up winning that game handily. So anything can happen, but absolutely. And this is where, you know, this is where having Todd Bowles, having a coach with his demeanor, the way he handles things, I think a lot of Jets fans are, are really enjoying the fact that he keeps everything level-headed. Uh, you, know, you know, whether you, regardless of what your feelings were about Rex Ryan, there's no doubt that if he was the coach of this team right now and they were 3-1, and one, he'd be making, you know, hotel reservations for Super Bowl weekend. So, <laughs> this, you know, Todd Bowles is a guy who... That's a fair point. There, you know, he keeps guys level-headed. He, he, it seems he, after every win, he comes out and says, we could have easily lost that game, whereas uh, Rex Ryan would come out after every win. And I liked Rex, don't get me wrong. But uh, the, the bloviating did, get, did wear thin after a while, and it, you felt like after every win it was, I told you so, whereas with Todd Bowles, it's we're lucky to get that win. You mentioned Sheldon Richardson in, in your answer to that question. And let's not forget, this is also a Redskins team, though, that, that beat the Eagles two weeks ago and last week went to overtime against the Falcons team that everyone thought they had no business being close with. So, any, as you said, anything can happen in the NFL, but Sheldon Richardson is back. How huge is it for him and for the Jets and for Todd Bowles to work him into the system that the Jets had their bye week this week? And it's not like, okay, he's back, now you're back in practice, you've got 
four, five, six, seven days, depending on the matchup, to, to get in, in rhythm. Now you've had 10, 12, 14 going into game day. Yeah, and they, that, that, that's a great thing for them because it seems that every year, you know, regardless of when you have your bye week, it never seems to fall at the right time. Whereas the Jets, you know, this season, you know, people talk about they have guys banged up, but, it, you know, at CNFL, everybody's got guys banged up all year long. So that's, you know, it's nice that for those guys that are a little a little nicked up, they'll have time to recover. But getting Sheldon Richardson that extra time to, to, get, to get oriented and to get some reps, some practice reps with the, with the rest of his line mates, it you know could be huge, and again, I'm I'm really curious to see how many reps he gets. But uh, it's it's a good thing for him. It's a good thing for the team to get comfortable. Uh, you know, the same way it is. You know, I, I hear a lot of talk right now about Devin Smith, and people are wondering about you know uh, the way he's produced so far. But you know, he, he's a guy who's been getting open. But let's not forget, much like Sheldon, this, this guy didn't have a camp. I well, Sheldon did, but. But Smith went down early. He, he, he had very, very few reps in training camp, and when he did, that's when Gino was still the number one. So him and Fitz have had essentially mm-hmm. zero time together. So I, I, like the, I like the bye week coming at a time that Sheldon can get reoriented, and hopefully Devin Smith and Ryan Fitzpatrick get a little more work together and get comfortable with one another. I'm glad you brought up Fitzpatrick because my next question is about him, and, and I, won't go, I won't beat around the bush either. How bad does this guy have to play in order for him to be pulled from that starting position, you know, it's, I, I heard that 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 question pitched to Todd Bowles. You know, is this a guy who could be benched for for poor play? And you know, he gave the right answers. Any anybody can. You know, if you're not producing at some point, you know, consistently, you're going to lose your job. But I really, I think it's going to come down to to the wins and losses. You know, if they're losing football games and and it's you know, and the blame is falling on him where they're not moving the ball. Yeah, fine. You know, you make the move, but if if he continues doing what he's doing, which is you know he, he's not going to the Pro Bowl, and a lot of Jets fans have said this from from the get go. He's not. This guy's not heading to Canton. We just we need him to be right. what he's been to this point. He's a game. You know, ma- he's a game manager. You know, I, I saw him play at Harvard. I used to do Ivy League football for yes. I, I saw him play at the collegiate level. He was great back then. I know it's the Ivy League, but I mean, this guy has sustained an NFL career. I'm not saying by any means that this guy is terrible. He is a game manager. Uh, he has the job he has because of the way he's handled himself and the way he's played for the teams he's been with. He, he's basically an NFL nomad, but it, it just seems to me this is uh, obviously his job to lose, and I don't think you're going to go back to a guy like you know an erratic Geno Smith. when you ha- Geno is kind of like, I, don't, I might be dating myself here, but at Great Adventure in Jackson, New Jersey, there's, there was an old roller coaster called Rolling Thunder. It was a wooden roller coaster, and it went up and down and up and down and up and down. That, to me, is Geno Smith, whereas Ryan Fitzpatrick is pretty much just a train on a straight track. <laughs> Big and, you know, Thunder that's, Mountain. That's, that's a great point. And the, the thing that I brought up a few times this offseason in discussing the quarterback situation <clears throat> is, is the fact that everyone talks about you know, we know what Ryan Fitzpatrick's ceiling is. Gino has more potential. He's got the higher upside and all this, which is all accurate. But the key to this, the key to this team where they've built a defense that can absolutely contend for a championship, just on the defensive side of the ball anyway, we know Ryan Fitzpatrick's floor, and his floor is a lot higher than Geno Smith. Yeah. Ryan Fitzpatrick, on his worst day in 10 years in the NFL, has never been nearly as bad as what we've seen from Geno Smith at times. So he may not be. He's not. He's not going to go out there and throw for 400 yards and and you know sling the ball 60 yards a pop. 
But if you just watch the way he's running this offense, the checks at the line, the, the ball comes out so quickly. That was the first thing that jumped out to me when I went up to camp this year and watched the team was that, you know, he's a guy that I'd seen play over the years, but it's kind of sporadic because he's on the, another team. But, man, the ball comes out so quickly. He's been sacked twice in four games. This guy's on pace to get sacked eight times. He, you know, he's not, he doesn't look like a guy who runs a lot, and he doesn't run a lot. But when the opportunity is there and he sees it, he'll take it. He'll pick up a key first down. So the decision-making is there. Even with the interceptions we've seen him throw this season, a few of them have been balls that have gone through receivers' hands. Or, you know, he had the one in Detroit or against the Indy with the – he threw a 50-50 ball up to Brandon Marshall, which, you know, either defender could have either, – either player could have come down with. Neither one did. It got batted up, and there was a safety trailing the player who picked it off. This guy's not going out there and misreading defense. He's not failing to see the safety. He's, he's making the right throws. And really, I think, I think he's been better than what his numbers say. And as long as he keeps winning games and, or giving the Jets a chance to win a game, I don't see any reason to, to pull him. You even said to us, you know, when we spoke with you earlier, I, I guess it was right around week one, week one we asked the, posed the question, if the Jets are 3-1, and 4-0, and, oh and rolling, what do you do? And, and obviously now Fitzpatrick is the thing. On the other side of that coin, though, you mentioned Geno Smith's floor and, and how it's, it's the basement at times. Yogi Berra said you can observe a lot by watching. That's one of his famous yogisms. And you can obviously observe a lot by watching something done, not necessarily well, but right. And that seems to be where Ryan Fitzpatrick falls in the quarterback spectrum. He does things right, if not necessarily well. When the time comes back around to where it is Geno Smith's team again, does what he's seeing now, what he's seen in the last four weeks, and what he'll see until the theoretical day the job becomes his again, with all that he's seeing and should be observing a lot by watching, does that kind of heighten the expectation for him now that you've seen what this offense can do when done right? You need to do it right, or else we're going to go find someone else who is and just not going to waste our time on your development. Yeah, absolutely. And that was one of the things that I really liked about the move when the Jets announced that they hired Chan Gailey. You know, my first thought was they got to go get Ryan Fitzpatrick now. Um, and, and my thought was let him come in and compete. I wasn't thrilled when the Jets handed Gino the job initially, but at the same time I felt like, okay, maybe it'll be a short leash. Maybe he gets three, four weeks, and if he doesn't get it done, Fitzpatrick comes in. But in my mind, worst-case scenario was if Gino gets the job, he's at least got Fitzpatrick there to walk him through it. That's something the Jets have lacked for years. It really, the backup quarterback position has been pretty neglected when you look at you know, the Mark Brunels of the world and the David Garrards. These are guys who were washed up over the hill, couldn't do much on the field. Whereas Fitzpatrick is a guy, as you said, he's been around for a while. He knows Gailey's system. And, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, my hope is that they're in that film room throughout the week. And if Geno's got a question, you know, Fitzpat- there's nobody better to answer it than Ryan Fitzpatrick. And, you know, you raise a great point. The fact that he can sit back and watch and see it up close and personal and maybe recognize some of his flaws and understand some of his shortcomings, it really is a good – this could, you know, this could be one of those things that, you know – you know, maybe sometime down the road we're looking back and going, wow, we, we thought it was so terrible what happened to Geno, but that really in the long run ended up benefiting him. It gave him that t- – I mean, this is a guy that everybody said, you know, he wasn't ready for the pros. He got rushed in because of Sanchez injury, and, and who knows, they may have started him that year anyway. But the bottom line is that he was put on the field when he wasn't ready. Now he's got a couple of years under his belt, and now sit back and watch for a while and, and watch the game. Like you said, I, I think that's, that's a really good way to put it. He, Fitzpatrick is playing the position right. You know, just those first couple games when I'm watching him, as I said, making the checks at the line, and you can just see the way he carries himself and the confidence, and you just he knows what he's doing. Is he going to execute the play? You know, 
you know, he's, he's not perfect. He's going to make his mistakes. But the fact that he's out there and confident and comfortable and you don't get that deer-in-the-headlights look, that, that can be invaluable to a young quarterback like Geno. I'm going to try. I still have my baseball thinking cap on, and I want to look at this game from mm-hmm. like a defensive standpoint because you have the sixth overall defense, uh, the Redskins, by the way. You wouldn't think that team would be up there. Uh, you know, with the way their season has kind of gone, uh, they did have the big win over your team, though. Um, thanks. That would, that would thanks, be that would be the Eagles. Thanks, thanks for that. Thanks, thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> a, a slight jab at my co-host uh, and the Jets' second overall D. So you're really going up. You know, the defense. If I could, you know, make it relate to baseball, the defenses here would be like number one starters, and then I would throw in like uh, the quarterbacks. The Jets have a number four starter going. And the Redskins have a number five starter going. Uh, and whoever manages the game better at quarterback is going to walk away with a win in this game. It might not be pretty, but what do you think about that way of looking at this game? I, I think it's pretty cut and dry like that. We know things have gone awry with predictions all through the test of time, unless you're Nostradamus because you could apply anything to any of his quatrains and he could look <laughs> like a freaking genius. But I, I look at these numbers, I look at these stats, and breaking it down that way, Glenn, I just see this game coming down to Ryan Fitzpatrick for the Jets and Kirk Cousins for the Redskins. Who, whoever has the better game is going to bring their team to the win. And, you know, it, that's a good point. These are two good defenses. The reason I like the Jets this Sunday is because of the fact that the, the Skins' defense overall, is, is they've, they've got a nice ranking, but I believe they're – eighth worst in the NFL at this point, you know, averaging or giving up almost four and a half yards a carry on the ground. And the way Chris Ivory is running right now really is just... He was a beast in London. My goodness. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that was a treat to watch. That was such a great showing um, and a couple of really big runs. And He helped you know, me win $3 on one of those... Um, Fantasy football sites. I won't mention it. Because, oh wow! Well, yeah, I won. I won yet? three dollars. Draft duel fan. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't whatever. even say anything. No, not until they start paying us money to say. Okay. You can't do that. Sorry, Glenn. <laughs> gotcha. I but yeah, I, I think that I think it will come down to that, and that's why I do like the Jets because I think their defense, because of the playmakers they have, they're going to be they're going to have an easier time forcing that mistake from from Cousins, whereas Fitzpatrick, Great point. Uh, again, Washington's defense has been better than most expected, but I just I don't see it being on the same level as the Jets. So you take that into account with the fact that it's a home game. I'd, I'd be really surprised if the Jets don't find a way to win this game. And, and really, you know, with a healthy dose of ivory, if they're able to wear that defense down late in the game, you know, maybe, maybe a couple, one or two late scores makes it, you know, opens things up for the Jets and, uh, and they walk away comfortably. Take 20 carries of Ivy and call, uh, Ivory and call me in the morning. <laughs> 99% pew. We've, we've talked about this. Kirk Cousins is a mistake waiting to happen. I mean, he's a, he's a perfectly cromulent NFL quarterback, as the Simpsons might say, but he's a mistake waiting to happen. And Kirk Cousins' bad timing interception theater is becoming a, a meme <laughs> at this point. This year, minus the game against the Eagles where he completed the damn pass. Good job, guys. Um, yeah, you know, I, I look at this game, uh, you know, not, not to be too harsh on Geno, but really you can apply it to Geno or Mark Sanchez. I was watching some of, some, uh, some of Washington's last couple games earlier today to, to take a look at Cousins, and I felt like, you know, one of the thoughts that popped in my head is, wow, we, we, get, to, we get to face the guy we've been, you know, it's like we're facing Geno or Sanchez. We're finally the team that's facing the, the error-prone, mistake-prone quarterback who makes the ill-timed, you know, throws the ill-timed interceptions. We've been, we've been living that side of the ball or that side of the spectrum for the past seven, eight years. 
now we finally have this great defense that this week we get to face a quarterback who's kind of been along the lines of what we've gotten from Geno and Sanchez for so long. It may not be fantasy uh, fantasy greatness, but as long as it wins the game, right? I, I, I wanted to mention one thing that, that Chris mentioned. He mentioned the fantasy, daily fantasy. Uh, I forgot to put Chris Ivory in my lineup because I forgot the game was at 9.30 in the morning. <laughs> but we'll go back to London. I, I know you told us before you, you came on, before we went on the air, that, that you were there. I don't know if it's a yeah. cruel joke by the NFL giving them the Dolphins in one game and the Jaguars in the other to see if it's really that the appetite for football is really that great because those two teams collectively stink, stink, and stunk. That's not really a way to market right. the game. But but t- you can tell us from a firsthand experience what was the atmosphere like over there for this game at, at least in particular. I, I thought the atmosphere was great. You know, it was, it was a Dolphin heavy crowd. I, I think part of the reason they. You know, obviously when the NFL is sending teams over there, they're sending teams like the Dolphins and Jags because they don't draw well at home. You know, no team that's selling out their games is going gonna, is gonna to take a home game away, away from their fans and go to, go to London. But that's why Jacksonville's agreed to do it for the next three or four years. I really think that's the team that's going to end up going if they don't expand and it's, if they take a current team and move them to London. I think it's going to be the Jaguars. Uh, they don't win. They don't draw. And their owner owns a Premier League soccer team over in England. So, he, you know, he likes it over there. Um, you know, but the environment was great. Again, heavy Dolphin fan presence. A lot of a lot of Dan Marino jerseys. I think that's I think that's part of the thinking too in sending the Dolphins over there, because when the game first started to grow over there, it was when Marino was really in his prime, and there are a lot of a lot of fans in England that that kind of became aware of American football because of Dan Marino. So it was it was a really great time. They, you know, Wembley is a, a it, it's a really nice arena. The seating is a little more pulled back than you like on the upper levels, but all in all, environment was great outside the stadium. You know, the tons of fans and and the costumes and everybody was really into it. So so I loved it personally, and I think uh, given the given the money they could they could potentially generate, I'd be really surprised if the league doesn't have a team over there in the coming years. I know that. Uh, they're looking at the uh, the Tottenham Hotspurs uh, football club that has built a, a brand new state of the art stadium that's going to be able to house both a soccer team and a football team. And uh, London Mayor Boris Johnson came out recently and said that they're in serious discussions with the NFL to use that stadium if they do in fact get a team. I think it it, it has a retractable pitch as well, so that they can dual yes. purpose it without destroying, the, like making it look like O.Co. Coliseum in early October where it's chewed up. But, exactly, uh, yeah. I think that became an issue because a couple of the games that we had over there basically tore up the field at Wembley and when, when England's national football soccer team, depending on your, your flavor, uh, <laughs> they weren't real happy with the condition of the field. And so that kind of you know, raised an eyebrow and they said, if, if we're going to get a team, we're going to have to find a way to put them in a building where their games aren't upsetting the field for our, for our sport. I'm not going to put you on the spot here, and I just have one more question left, but the next time we bring you on, Glenn, I'm giving you some homework. I want sure I, I want you uh, to come back next time with the nickname for the London football team. I want you to think, and then I want you to come back. Assuming it's not just the London Jaguars or yeah, the London I, no, Redskins no, or no, the no, London no, no, Raiders. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. I, I just want you to come back with a name for the London team that, that might be out there. 
All right. Yeah, that sounds that's that's a good thought. I'll I'll, I'll see what I can come up with for that. Yeah, I, I think we all should, and then we all should. Um, well, I know the the World compare. League. Remember the old World League of American Football that was on the, the USA the Network. It was the, the Monarchs, the Frankfurt Galaxy. It is led by Stan Gelbaugh and other great Stan quarterbacks. Gelbaugh. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> I used to watch the World the, League, the Birmingham Barons. I think, or is that the, I think the it was double the, A team? The, the Rain Fire, right? The Rain, the rain Fire. fire. Yeah, yep. yeah, 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 yeah. That was one. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely, the the Frankfurt, Frankfurt Galaxy. Galaxy. So yep. there were two teams in Germany. Yep. Yep. Uh, the, the London, London Monarchs. Monarchs. Montreal had a team. The Machine. I think they were. They were. They had. They they did have one great name on that team. They had the former New York Giants kicker extraordinaire Bjorn Nitmo on the Montreal Machine. Really? Yes. Wow. For a little while. This is ran. This is why I can't remember. Like to grab my, you know, my softball glove before I leave the house on <laughs> Thursday morning. But I can remember that. Yeah. So, I don't know. Th- those are some problems we should talk about with uh, concussion people, I think, because I have, those, I have those same problems. I should ask my doctor if insert medicine here is right for me. Well, I, I, I only played five years of football in my life, uh, and I don't know where you guys are with that, but I got hit in the head One. a lot. I got hit in the head a lot, and uh, there are times I'll walk in a room, I don't know what the hell I'm in there for, and I'm starting to get a little scared. I'm only 42 years old. I mean, for the most part, I still have all of my faculties, and this is turning into a health discussion. I don't want that to happen. So let me ask you the one more question. Uh, sure thing. Glenn, on the Giants and Eagles, you're a Philly guy. So, look, the Eagles waxed up on the Saints. I, I'm not getting all – I know Eagles fans were hyped up about it. I know – I don't know how you felt about it. You'll find out in about ten minutes. But the Saints, they pretty much stink. They're not the same Saints team they once were. And they've always, in the Drew Brees era, stunk on the road. So beating them, scoring 39 points, Sam Bradford still looks like a dumpster fire, hot garbage. And I know this because he's on my fantasy team. Like an idiot, I took him as my first quarterback. Um, In my defense, I'm in a 14-team league. Yeah, and you were probably drafted the day after he carved up, uh, was it Indianapolis or Green Bay in that one game? Yes. So, you know, I took that with a grain of salt and said, ooh, let me shock the world and take Bradford. Nope. Anyway, um, look, the Giants to me, uh, I've watched every single game painstake. I I had no... No confidence that they were going to come back and Eli was going to do what he did in their last game uh, with the comeback win at home against the 49ers. Uh, uh, This Eagle team has been up and down, and as far as Chip Kelly being a genius, you could take that, crumple it up, and throw it out the window. I mean, Steve Spagnuolo's defense is, I think they're ranked 27th overall. It's not good. They're giving up a a boatload of yards. They're doing enough, though, to win ball games. That is until the fourth quarter. To me, this is going to be a very tight game through the first three quarters, and then it's going to be a mistake, an Eli interception or a fumble or a Bradford interception late in the game that's going to make or break uh, this one. What do you think about this Monday night game coming up? I think it is going to be a close game. You know, division rivals, they always seem to play each other tight. And, the, you know, the the Chip Kelly situation right now, I know I know all the talk, right, at least that I've been hearing in the last couple of days is, you know, how long before Chip bolts for USC when they offer him $10 million <laughs> oh, yeah. a year. Yeah. Um, you know, the the fans are a little bit worried about that. But and how many I, times you know, has that happened with these, these high-profile college coaches? They come to the NFL, and in a minute, a big-time job opens up, bang, they're gone. I mean, that, that, it, that's it, the risk you take. 
it, it really is bizarre. As a matter of fact, when I was listening, tuned in earlier and was listening to some sports radio, the first soundbite they played was a, uh, a classic Nick Saban um, press conference with the Dolphins where he was, he's standing up there saying, listen, how many times do I have to say it? I'm not going to Alabama. I'm not going to be <laughs> Alabama's head football coach. I'm here. I've said it three times, and I'll say it again. You know, So we all know that when the money is right, that these guys will take off. Um, so a lot of fans are worried about that. But, but listen, you know, Chip Kelly's a guy. He's a polarizing figure. He, you know, the, the genius label has been, has been torn off by some folks, and you, know, you get encouraged when you see what they did this week against New Orleans. But, you know, it's the NFL, and every now and then you see a team come out and, and do something that's kind of out of character. And for what they've done on offense this year, that was a surprising, you know, surprising point total. But the, the Saints have been pretty bad uh, on defense, really on both sides of the ball. They haven't been very good. So I, I, I think Coughlin and Eli find a way to pull it off. Uh, those two guys, I'll tell you what, even as a Jets fan, I don't know how it seems like every time their back is against the wall, is when they just come out and do do things that no one no one else expects or anticipates, and they find a way to reel off a few wins in a row. So I, I think I, I take the Giants in a close one, and the you know the the Philly fan base. It's it's I being in London, I didn't get a chance to listen to a lot this week, but it's been pretty uh, pretty. Everyone's been pretty upset with Chip Kelly and, and the results he's got. You know, even that win against the Jets. I, you know, going into that game, I expected the Jets to win, but I said if Philly could get a score on specials or defense, they'd find a way to win. Sure enough, they did. But uh, you know, if not for that, that Brandon Marshall <laughs> deciding to hand the ball to a Philly defender, and then the, the, yeah. the, the pass later in the game that was deep in you know deep in Philly territory that went right through his hands and you know for an interception. Hey, but at least he got to plays. explain himself on Inside the NFL on Tuesday. Yeah, and, and I, I you can't know, stand that. Credit, by the way, that, uh, he said that it was. Probably the stupidest play you know in the history of the league, which may be a bit much, but it really it, it was one of those plays that I looked at and said, you know, I said no other team does this. Yeah. Even you know, it, it reminded you of Santonio Holmes, but you know when he did it against the Niners years ago, it, it's it's bizarre, but you know at least at least Marshall is doing enough good to negate the the few mistakes he's had. No, you know I can't even gloat because my my friends that I was watching the game with, one's an Eagles fan like me, one's a Jets fan. We were both like. I don't know what is going on there, but you know what? It it was it happened. Strange things happen any given Sunday. We'll see what happens with the Jets this Sunday against the Redskins, and then obviously on Monday night against the Eagles. But Glenn, thank you very much as always for coming on. We appreciate it, and uh, we hope to talk to you again real soon. Absolutely, my pleasure, guys. Enjoy the games this weekend, and uh, you know, look forward to coming on again soon. All right, Glenn. Take care, buddy. Take care. There he goes, <clears throat> Glenn Naughton, JetNation.com. Uh, one of our partners at YesNetwork.com. While, while we're, uh, we're, we're talking about football basically almost the whole time, I, I want to get into baseball a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I just saw this. <sighs> See, th- th- this is why I cannot stand the NFL sometimes. I just can't. Craig Ironhead Hayward. But Ironhead, what's with this thingy? Died of bone cancer at 39. Yes. When Cam Hayward, his son, was 17. Cam Hayward now plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, and in their last game had eye black on, under his eyes on tape and under, uh, on one, under his right eye, it said iron and on the other side, it said head in tribute to his dad mm-hmm. uh, who he lost to cancer. Uh, and he, he tweeted, got fined for honoring my dad who bravely fought cancer on my eye black. Hashtag never give up. Hashtag cancer sucks. That was today right before one o'clock. 
Uh, the standard fine for a first violation of the league's uniform policy against personal messages is $5,787. Hayward's fine comes only days after the league told his teammate D'Angelo Williams that he has to stop wearing Couldn't pink wear at the pant. end of October. Williams yep. wanted to wear it all season to honor his mother. Who died of breast cancer. But the NFL refused. Yeah. And this is from, I want to give them credit, SB Nation, uh, Dave Hogue or Dave Hogg, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but it's from SB Nation. He he posted it up there. I, I saw I, the D'Angelo Williams thing the other day. Yeah. Look, I get the personal messages if you don't know what it means or it's a veiled thing and you don't want you don't want like a gang sign or something like that to infiltrate the NFL. I'm not saying that a player would do that, but I understand like personal messages, how it could get to the NFL. But for the Giants to have to get permission to put Ann Mara's initials on their jersey or Frank Gifford's number on their helm is utterly ridiculous. For Cam Hayward to get, even though it's a, a minimal fine. Well, maybe not, because Cam Hayward does not make, you know, does, isn't making Ben Roethlisberger money here. But compared to a 250K fine. Right. You know, 5K is pretty much nothing. But my point is... He was honoring his dad who died of cancer. All October long, the NFL wears pink in support of breast cancer. So basically what these tweets and these articles are saying, I'm not saying it. I agree with what they're saying is the NFL does this stuff when it suits them. Yeah. The players should be able to honor their late relatives. If the NFL has the cause for October... Damn it, it should have the cause for any player who lost their mother, aunt, or whatever to breast cancer for the entire season. If a guy wants to wear a sliver of pink, you should wear him, let him wear a sliver of pink. It is asinine for this league to punish these guys for wanting to honor a relative, especially a mother or a father. Shame on you. Shame on you, NFL. That is utter ridiculousness, and I have curse words lined up in the back of my mouth right now that I can't say on this podcast to tell you what this is, but it's ridiculous. Deadspin did a better job of not censoring those curse words. Uh, They have a article out there that calls Roger Goodell things that probably you shouldn't call any human being, but he may deserve it in in their eyes. One of my dad's favorites was on the tip of my tongue, and I had to choke it back, and it was... Chicken chicken you-know-what stain? Horse. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Here's here's what... I'm going to sum this up, because I saw the D'Angelo Williams thing the other day. I forget if it was yesterday or Monday, and and now this comes out. Like... That's that's terrible. Look, I get it. Anyone can get the rational explanation as to why things are the way they are. But the NFL is rapidly approaching NCAA levels of stupidity when it comes to common sense versus the law. And it's kind of, kind of a parallel, kind of a microcosm even, of the society we're living in today where a 54-year-old middle-aged human resources director is suing her nephew <laughs> I saw that too. <laughs> is suing her nephew for $127,000 because he exuberantly jumped at her at her, his birthday party four years ago and broke her wrist, which made it difficult for her to hold her hors d'oeuvres plate at a party. And we're on the downslope towards the next big reset here, folks. By the way, this the, is this is no surprise. An, an update to that? Yeah, she the she, jury bounced. Her. Yeah, she got nothing. Didn't give her anything. She, she got two things. Nothing and liked it. Yes. Point being is this: anyone can understand, in theory, who has ever worked at a job that requires you to wear 
anything, whether it be as general as business casual or, you know, you work at McDonald's or somewhere where you have the full uniform, the hat and the apron and all that kind of thing. I get it. Absolutely get it. If you let D'Angelo Williams do this and you let Cam Hayward do that, as innocuous as they seem, then you never know when the gang signs are going to creep in or when something's going to happen that, you know, some guy's just going to decide not to wear pants one day. Who knows? Isn't okay, there? I get it. I get it. On the other hand, it's ridiculous. And as you said with, with the NFL, it only seems to happen when the, the cause suits them. What Deadspin said in their article, coming back to my original point, and then I'll, and then I'll let you go back to, to, to hammering them. <laughs> what Deadspin basically said is, you know what? If you want to contribute to the cause, contribute to the cause when it's convenient for us, not when it's convenient for you. Exactly. Which, I'm sorry. That's I don't know, what I brought up. I don't know if anybody who's ever had or been affected by someone who had breast cancer where it's ever been convenient for them. So, you know, that's a tough argument to sell. Not quite convenient, you know, what happened with my dad here in the last couple of weeks at the end of baseball season. Cancer doesn't care. No, it doesn't. So, it's, oh, oh, it's, you're right. You're absolutely right. What about this? And this might be a stretch, but before I get to that, Roger Goodell is pretty much Richard Vernon from The Breakfast Club. Okay, if we get up, if he gets up, we'll all get up. It'll be anarchy. Wanting to honor somebody isn't going to spur along somebody else. You know, they get fined for... I remember Peyton Manning wanted to wear... When Johnny Unitas passed away, he wanted to wear the the black cleats to honor Johnny Unitas... They told him he couldn't do it. How, how stupid is that? And you know what? There will be Roger Goodell standing at his press conference with the little pink ribbon on his, you know, it, pink ribbon pin on his lapel because uh, it's such an important cause when oh. the NFL can make. Actually, I don't understand. You know what? Now I just figured it out. Ladies and gentlemen, I might be the brightest podcast co-host in America. I figured out why, it's, why the NFL does that. Why? It makes them more money if they don't let them do that. Doesn't it? If he does it anyway, if Cam Hayward writes Ironhead on right. his black on, on his eye black, uh-huh. if Brandon Marshall wears his green cleats that that he's worn now and again to, to support mental illness awareness, if D'Angelo Williams wears pink wristbands on November first, what about if what about if November first is a uh, is a Monday and all the games for the week have been played and he's on Monday night and he wears it? Does he get fined? Let does me, breast cancer awareness end in the middle of an NFL let, week? Let me bring this up, okay? Stupid. I know it's not technically on their uniform. Eye black isn't on their uniform, okay? It's not, that's not a part of their you, helmet. Neither part, is a tattoo. That's where I'm going. I knew you were. So if Cam Hayward got a gigantic tattoo of Ironhead on his bicep and everybody could see it, isn't his skin part of his uniform? Well, hair is part of the helmet, so I don't know. What if he got a big tattoo that said, Eat My Shorts Goodell, on the inside of his forearm that was visible every time he touched the ball or made a tackle right. or you know anything? Right. So my message to Cam Hayward is to go out and get that this tattooed. second and get that tattooed on your forearm. Yeah. Again, like I said, that five thousand dollar fine makes the NFL five thousand more dollars than they would have had if they had uh, just let him do it. It's just sickening. And and it's absolutely where sickening. I was going with the NCAA thing is, you know, I, I've made jokes on this podcast and on previous incarnations of this podcast that the NCAA will fine you if you had too much spaghetti at a team Pasta, dinner. Yes, yeah. You know, you had you had more ziti than you were allotted, so that's a secondary violation. <laughs> the NCAA's latest bonehead move. Oh, we have new stuff. 
Well, I don't know if you saw this. LSU played South Carolina last week, and oh yeah, the, the flooding. Game, the, the game flooding. was in Baton Rouge because right. South Carolina is is a war zone mm-hmm. because of the flooding from the effects of Joaquin Leonard Fournette, the LSU running back. He after, wrote something. Yeah, no, a, after after hammering South Carolina, worse than that hurricane did. Bad pun. Fournette had an amazing game against South Carolina, mm-hmm. and flat out came out and said, "I'd like to auction off my jersey, and the pro- and send the proceeds to South Carolina to help them with you know flooding relief." Now LSU came out and said, "You know, we understand his his cause. You know, that shows the tremendous character and heart of this young man, which it does. But they didn't, you know, we didn't clear it, and there's all kinds of loopholes because LSU is a state school, so his jersey is technically state property, and blah 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 blah. And the NCAA flat out said no." How much, money, However, how much money did LSU make on mm-hmm. having that game there? Right. Exactly. And if LSU was smart, if they could get through the loopholes, they would also turn around and donate that money to South Carolina right. you know, to, to, the, to the flooding relief. However, on various websites, you can buy a number seven LSU jersey for like 100 bucks. So how does that help Leonard Fournette? doesn't. How does that help how, South Carolina? How many number 80... I don't even know who number 83 on LSU is, or if there even is one, but how, how well do you think his jersey's selling? Yeah, and, and how, how does that help South Carolina? It doesn't. Yeah. I might be the only guy in the world that has a circa 1999 number 88 Temple University football jersey. Yeah. For, yeah <laughs> I think you yeah. are. <laughs> for, reasons, for, for reasons... And I'll, I'll bring this up, and I, I hate to use my, a friend of mine as an example, but I, I may have told this story before. My first college roommate was a tight end. On the Temple football team. Played one play. Four years. Got a free education. He's now an assistant district attorney in Alabama. Yes. Okay. Played one play. Four years. On a punt, on a punt uh, coverage play. I think we were punting. Mm-hmm. Where there's ten guys on the field. And he happened to be standing next to the special teams coordinator. And he sent them out there to be a gunner. Because they were short a guy. Okay. That's his college football experience. I have his jersey. Because, hey, man. That's awesome. We had NCAA 1998 or whatever it was football. And. There's number 88, freshman tight end, third on the depth chart. Well, he became our number one tight end, <laughs> just for obvious reasons. But, but the point is, is nobody has Larry's jersey, and nobody cares. Right. But I'm sure a lot of people had, oh, I don't know, name a, name a player in 1998 in the Big East who was tearing it up. I can name a million of them. Donovan McNabb, for one. Michael Vick, a couple years later. Sure, a lot of people had Virginia Tech number seven jerseys. Syracuse number fives. They still do. Uh, number, you know, number 81 Miami jerseys when Santana Moss was scoring four touchdowns against us in the vet. My senior year. But you know what? That helps the NCAA. They get the licensing rights. Doesn't do anything for this kid. So now he wants to do something nice, and the NCAA is like, no. Uh, Seriously? Yeah. Well, there you go. You know what? That's what I love about this. I I could find something like that, and we just did 10 minutes on it. And it was good. It was, hey, I might be patting myself on my back. But that was a good ten minutes That's of podcast. A good ten minutes right of podcast. There. It's just it's stupid, and it just it makes everything feel so robotic. Everyone hates Roger Goodell anyway. It's just and it, look, uh, uh, it makes it tough. I'm going to be. Sitting did you there see on the Monday Twitter night. war between Bomani Jones yeah. and uh, Danny? Wer- was it Danny Cannell? No, I, I didn't see this. So. <sighs> Then somebody got hurt. Cannell was saying something like, you know, prayers to his family. And then Bomani Jones says, yeah, but you don't want him to make any money. And they just went back and forth, I guess, because Cannell doesn't want players to get paid. Mm-hmm. And Bomani Jones does. Listen, they get an education for free. 
They do. And let's be fair. A lot of guys, if I'm you not saying start all of them. cutting checks yeah. for every player that plays college football, you're on a very slippery slope. Because what about the kids that are academically talented? You're not going to pay them? Not going to pay them for going to your school no. and I, doing well? Now, look, I, I'll look at this. We both went to college. You get a free education. You know what that does? Bomani? You know what a free education does? That doesn't have you paying college loans back for 11 freaking years like I did. I know they bring a ton of money into the school. And I'm not against not giving, you know, I'm not against maybe their jersey sales. If they are one of the top players on the team, hey, give them a little stipend once a month. I'm sure Florida made a lot more money off Tim Tebow jersey than they did off uh, Frankie Frankie Bojangles' third string safety. If you want to do that, I, I have no problem doing that. But as far as cutting a check for all these guys, you're out of your you're out of your freaking mind. They're on that field. Some of them don't even play, like lose guy. But guess what? He went to school for free. There, he got a free education, and now for n- free. And now let let's put it into a different. Not me. Light. Yeah. Why? Because I couldn't play football. If I, I don't get a free education, I graduated I, with a three eight for Christ's sake. And you're going to tell me you're not going to give me any money? I I got I got a half scholarship. So I still had to pay. Thirty thousand so, dollars in student so loans. So I have to pay eleven years and and you know you know what out of a straw for eleven years because I can't play football. Mm-hmm. Give me a break. And l- let's be fair about this now. Now in my sp- my specific case, my roommate Larry uh, went to Bishop R High School in Piscataway. I'm sure know you know it, it well. well. Um, we played them. Yep, yeah, was from New Brunswick. Parents are very. I think his dad's a. I think his dad's a lawyer, and his mom is a, a high-ranking, business, a high-profile businesswoman. Smart guy. We took the same exact classes. We were both broadcasting majors. Took the same exact classes. Graduated. You know, both graduated magna cum laude. Uh, smart guy. Probably could have gotten into any any school he wanted to on his academic merit. Had another offer to play college football. Oddly enough, it was for a guy who. Um, you may have heard of his name's Lou something or other. It was somewhere uh, down south. Um, I don't Krolts? know. He coached at some other really good school that has like the the Charleston, the, the mural guy in center field there. What's him call it? Uh, who? He turned down South Carolina Lou to go Holtz. to Temple. Right. right, it was Lou Holtz. Obviously, if you didn't get where I was going there, I, I got it. I'm talking to the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Larry still got a free education. Now there were guys on the team that I swear to God he was friends with because he he was teammates. The guys that lived next door to us were both on the football team my freshman year. I hung out with some of those guys. There were guys that I swear to God I have no idea how they learned how to tie their shoes in the morning. Wow. And they also got a free education, like you said. There's a lot of players. You look at all these guys. You look at these Prop 40 guys in basketball and and all that. They they probably got a diploma, too. They can't spell it, but they got one, yeah. Uh, Majoring in kinesiology or general studies. But the point being, general studies. With with a concentration in and and football, with a concentration in Jeopardy classes, yeah. but the point is, is there's a lot of guys on these team, and like I said, the prop forty guys in basketball that, that don't have the academic chops to get into Norwalk Community College, let alone you know Notre Dame, I, and I, they're there. What do you have today? Potent potables and potpourri, <laughs> and 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 same last name. I got Wheel of Fortune class at three o'clock. Four letter words. Now listen. 
I don't know. I don't know how Glassboro State University, oh, which is now God. Rowan College, Rowan University, Rowan University. Pal. I don't know what kind of classes you took or did or whatever. I I will admit fully that I took volleyball, weightlifting, and tennis to get six of the hundred and twenty six credits I needed for my degree at Temple. Freely admit it. Uh-huh. I also took electrical engineering. I took uh, a bunch of mass comm theory classes. I took honors physics, calculus, and various other classes too that that people would be just lost in if they weren't you know in the upper echelon of smart. I made dean's list after dean's list. I had a three eight in my major. I think it was a three five overall because I had to take child psych and all those other yeah. BS. You know, general elective courses. Intellectual heritage was Temple's uh, one of Temple's finest courses. But in my in my major, radio, TV, film, I, I nailed it. I, you know, I I didn't get any money. No. You know what? I, I got I, listen two college loans, and I'm going to bring up a blast from the past. And Jim Florio, who was the once governor of New Jersey, Governor Jim Florio. Yes, he made it possible. For me to get an education because he instituted the New Jersey state class loan. Now, was I paying it off until I was 34? Yeah. But I was able to go to school with it. And I paid for every cent for going to school. I paid for it. Me. There is a me in this team. (laughs) Hey, and you know... That brings to a whole other issue. We had the Democratic debate last night. That's all over Twitter. And, I, and, and by the way, before you continue, I want to thank Bernie Sanders for making that debate festivus. Oh. Because <laughs> he sounded he just Frank like Frank Stanza. Stanza. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This debate can't end until I pin Hillary. Now, that's a whole other thing with, with the, the state of edu- the educational, higher educational system in America and college football players and all that plays into it because of the disparity. But the overall point goes back to the universities make so much money off these guys that it's unreal. Some of the just stupid things they will not let them do based on archaic rules and or, well, well, if if we let you tie your shoes with pink laces, everyone else is going to tie their shoes. Just like you said, it's it's Dick Vernon all over the place. You know, if one gets up, screws fall out all the time, sir. It's an imperfect world. It, uh, when you go to college, aren't you – correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't you supposed to find your way like an individual way? You're supposed to be an individual. Theoretically. You're not supposed to conform you know, to one way of you know, looking one way or acting one way. That's, that's what it seems like. I mean I know you don't want you know, 11 guys out there on offense, all of them wearing different socks. I, I get that. Okay? Right. I get that. If guys want to wear different colored spikes, who cares? Who cares? Or wristbands to honor. Wristbands to to honor honor family members. We got to stop this. Jane, uh, Susan Powder, stop the insanity. There's another blast from the past. How come if that's the case, how come coaches don't have to abide by a uniform release? You see some guys out there. I love George Carl in the Denver uniform when he (laughs) coached the Nuggets. Wasn't that great? Yeah. Good times. But, um, you know, like. You see some. You see Belichick out there in a, in a hoodie with the sleeves cut off and and whatever. And then you see Andy Reid in his uh, in his Homer Simpson moo moo. Dan then Reeves see, had a suit every weekend. You see Chip Kelly out there with his windbreaker and black pants. You see, they're all dressed differently. So really, how come there's not a? How yeah. come there's no? How come Chip Kelly hasn't been fined because he's not wearing a suit like Dan Reeves or Mike Nolan? Or you know, 
how come Jim Harbaugh in the same pair of Walmart khakis he wore every week wasn't the uniform standard for every coach along with a team-colored polo and or sweatshirt, under armor, whatever? When he wore a red shirt and those khakis, he could have left Levi Stadium and went to work a shift at Target. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Oh, God. All right. Again, like I said, when it comes to that, I get it. But it, it's just apparently the NCAA and possibly LSU are now looking and actually letting this kid auction off his jersey. Which, sh- they should. Yeah. They, it's the right thing to do. And it's not like the kid's trying to get money on the low. He pretty much announced it. You know what? And if it's really all this loopholes and the problems, here's what you do. You, you, buy, you, you get him a new jersey to play with. It costs... What's a jersey cost? A hundred bucks? Probably. hundred bucks. They buy make. them in bulk, so yeah. it's probably So cheaper. even if just to get one, it costs a hundred bucks, great. If his jersey auctions for $7,000, give South Carolina 6900 Give LSU to hundred bucks so they can get him the new jersey, and everybody's happy. Bingo, bango. There you go. My co-host. Everybody's happy. Ideas. Anyway. We need to talk about baseball now. We didn't even get to talk about Eagles-Giants. Which... Ah, who cares? We're, we're, anyway, there is. let's just say this. We will be at a, an establishment in the Stamford, Connecticut area. That may or may not be named after a former baseball manager. manager. Yes, but Lou will be wearing a Giants jersey. Can't wait. Because he lost the bet. Can't wait. Um, and I guess I will, too. Um, but we're also going to work Bobby's to get a special Giants Jets podcast live from that establishment uh, in early December. So, did we just pull a Leonard Fournette? Did we announce that before we asked about it? Yeah, hmm. yeah. But we'll see. Uh, it's just it's a possibility, but it'll be a lot of fun. But anyway, let, let's talk about baseball really quick before we uh, send it off here. And this is the first time we're, we're able to. I, I'm sure we both had thoughts on Saturday night. Uh, as soon as it happened. You can check out my thoughts on Reply All on Yes Network's uh, YouTube account. Uh, it was tweeted, and it's also on our uh, on, on the website. I tweeted like a madman. I was watching the, the game uh, with our buddy John at the diner, who is a ginormous Mets fan. Mm, yes, he is. And I've played baseball my whole life. Now, my tweet ended up being wrong. Uh, I didn't know this rule because who knew it? Uh, I don't think anybody knew it. Not, not even the umpires. Booth, um, not even Cal Ripken. But... In my lifetime, I've never seen a guy, and maybe it's because we never had replay like this meticulous until you know the past couple of years, but I've never seen a guy break up a double play, not have any intent to even come anywhere near the bag or touch it, give himself up without even tagging up just to make sure he's safe, and running off the field, giving himself up in a way because the umpire called him out. Now look. We know if you think you're safe, you go back to the bag and you stand on it and you wait. He didn't do that. Ran in the dugout. Never in my life have I seen that happen and have a guy called safe and go back out there without touching the bag. Well, here's, here's what happened in that. And this is, this is the downside. But according to the rule, yep. he should have this been This is award. the underbelly of instant replay. First of all, the, the closest part of Chase Utley to hitting second base bag was his head after right. it after it ricocheted off the hottest leg. Right. And I don't buy Don Mattingly's explanation that Utley hasn't played the last two games because of a concussion or anything. No. Because he'd have to go into protocol right. to do so. Um, and when the Mets win game five and Don Mattingly gets fired, he can probably talk a little bit more freely about that because uh, that's what will happen. Andrew Friedman will just fi- move on, which sucks for Donnie Baseball. Yeah. Um, there this were, is the underbelly of instant replay, though, is that 
the delay took so long because of Tejada's leg that the video team had so much time to look at it yeah. and saw that Tejada didn't touch second base. Right. And and as people have said, and as I heard on MLB Network, and Harold Reynolds actually did a very good like explanation of being a middle infielder of, mm-hmm. of how the play worked on Monday. Mattingly went out and asked the umpires if they called the neighborhood play. The umpire said no. Then he challenged that he was not on the bag. Because if the umpire tells you, no, I didn't call it a neighborhood play, that's like one of those things like you can't challenge down by contact in the NFL. Right. Then they went back and looked and saw, sure, sure enough, yep, he didn't touch the bag, Utley's safe. doesn't matter that Utley never touched the bag because he had already vacated his position because he was called out. Then they I didn't know that, They though. can't. I've never seen it before. Right. The Mets can't within the rules say, well, he vacated his position because he was called out. You leave the field. That's that's that's. Hard. However, let me interject just one thought here. When Utley leaves first on that play, he has no intent on coming anywhere near the bag. He is going where Tejada is. His yep. job, mm-hmm. and that's what most Met fans don't really. They just see the legs broken and going into Tejada hard and a late slide. Utley's job, any baseball player's job. Inherently, you break up the double play. Yep. You're down one nothing in the series at home in game two, down a run. They can't turn two. If they do, that run doesn't score in Hernandez, and they don't tie the game up. Yep. This is, I, and I, you know, after we did the reply all, I responded to a few of the people that tweeted at me based on my opinion, and I'll reiterate that momentarily. But as I said, this is a rule I got, that I've seen called more often in my rec softball league this year than in Major League Baseball, where it's actually also in the rule book. Here's the issue, and I love Joe Torre personally and professionally and as a fan, and in any way possible you could love Joe Torre. I do. And I don't know if it's him. I don't know if it's the brass. I don't know who it is, but there is a, there is a horrendous – and I'm not defending Chase Utley because as a Yankees fan, I hate Chase Utley like anybody else, and I'm rooting for the Mets because I'd like to see New York get some serious October baseball. There is a hypocrisy abounding in the fact that not only was Utley suspended, period, but that his appeal hearing is now set for Monday, which is the day in between games two and three of the NLCS. Right. Meaning that even though Utley has sat out these two games, and quite frankly, if he just didn't appeal the suspension and sat out, it would have been the same thing, no harm, no foul. However, the Dodgers may or may not even be there. So now if that appeal happens, whether it gets upheld, reduced, or whatever, he now misses games next year that have a completely different scope. Ruben Tejada's leg will be fine next April. The reason it's hypocritical is this. Chris Coughlin was not suspended when he destroyed Jung Ho Kong's knee right. in that Cubs-Pirates game in September. Mm-hmm. Didi Gregorius, and I'm going to call out a Yankee because MLB Network showed the footage and they showed all four of them. Didi Gregorius was not suspended for a slide that could have seriously injured Jose Altuve in the wildcard game. Luckily didn't. Chase Utley was not suspended five years ago when he did the same thing to the same guy. <laughs> okay? I forget who it was on Kansas City, or not Kansas City, Texas, uh, was not suspended for Rugnet Odor, I believe. Yeah. Was not suspended for, for blatantly spiking Johnny Giovatella in the last game of the season between those two teams, between Texas and, and the Angels. Five plays I just mentioned, same exact circumstance, same exact thought process, and in Kong's case, Gong's case, an injury that was just as bad, if not worse, zero discipline. This happens in a playoff game, 
two-game suspension. Now, I don't agree that Utley, I think Utley's slide was dirty. It was within the rules. It's legal. doesn't make it clean. But I think it's a little hypocritical that not only is he suspended, that this is getting drawn out to the point where it's not going to matter in the See, long that's, run. See, that's the gray area. It's a martyring. That's the gray area that, that Met fans still who are seeing red can't really see outside that circle and say, yes, it was a legal slide, but it was a dirty slide. Mm-hmm. That is the sentence that Met fans still can't come to grips with. And, you know, in a way with – there's a part of me that – I feel for them. I do. Because, look, every replay you see, every angle, he started that slide. It's a rolling chop block. At the guy's legs. It's a rolling chop block. He, you know how you go in with one of your legs bent, and Utley's leg was bent up against Tejada's leg. Up against his leg. It was like watching, it was like Chase Utley was a bowling ball, and Ruben Tejada's legs were the seven and the ten. Right. You're, that's the best way to look at it. And you know what? Here's the other thing. And I don't think a lot of people have brought this up. I think there's two guys on the Mets who are just as responsible for that play happening. One of them is Daniel Murphy. That was an awful, awful feed to Tejada at second. Now, look, I know he's going one way and he's trying to get the ball to him, but Tejada's momentum, Murphy, Murphy has a lot of... Uh, fault in this. Getting he pretty much, he was like a quarterback putting his running back out to dry on a screen pass, which the quarterback no, he the quarterback's about to get drilled, but he's like, you know what? If I get rid of it, the running back will get drilled. That's pretty much what yeah. Murphy did to Tejada. <clears throat> Tejada's momentum is taking him towards the bag. That throw forces Tejada to shift his momentum back. So now he's going back to get the ball. Now he has to – there's no way for him to generate any kind of momentum to come back the other way to make that throw. And Tejada's at fault for trying to turn that double play. But in that heat of the moment, which right. is what I try to tell people, you know, because, well, he shouldn't have tried – listen, if you're in that situation and if he's – astute at what the situation was, and I'm pretty sure he was. Hey, if I get a chance to turn two, we're out of this inning, no runs. Mm -hmm. That's what's in his head. He's not thinking, okay, I'm just going to step on the bag and try to avoid Utley. In a a vacuum, you can say that that's how it should have happened, but in the heat of the moment, it doesn't work that way. Right, it doesn't. And here's here's the whole be-all, end-all of this. It took Scott Cousins, you know, nearly destroying Buster Posey's leg at the plate a few years ago to to get that whole collisions rule. And that was my next point. Right. And, and that was my point at the end of my reply all as well. Maybe, that will ch- maybe this will change. And I, Rob Manfred has already come out and said that the MLB will look at these rules. The problem is, is the rule book. And we've seen, you know, the NFL has been rife with bad officiating on top of all their other foibles this year. But this is bad officiating is what this is. It is within the scope of the rules for the umpire. I, I don't know off the top of my head who the second base umpire was in that game. Um, or even who's on the crew, because don't, you don't pay attention to that unless you have to. You only know umpires' names when they do something wrong. It's a sad fault of being an official. That said, it's within his, it was within that gentleman's right to call Chase Utley out based on the rule Joe Torre cited when he suspended Chase Utley. But you got to call it. Yeah. So if it's in the rule book and it's not being called or not being called properly, maybe the rule needs to be updated so that, A, officials are aware of it, and, B, it leaves out their judgment call. 
you have to slide into the base so that your feet or your hand, you know, depending on, on where you're, you're sliding into, are able to touch the far side of the bag. Chris Guccione was at second that night. Okay. Chris Guccione, from what I know of him, is a pretty, you know, he doesn't suck as I mean, an umpire. Gary Cedarstrom is the, is uh, the crew, crew chief. chief. Again, Gary Cedarstrom. You know the name just because he's been around forever, not because right. he sucks. Right. Um, maybe the rule needs to be modified, like with the home plate rule. Maybe there needs to be, you know, a semicircle put in at the bases where your slide needs to begin by this point or else you can be – you are called out for interference. Or maybe something needs to be done in that regard. And Manfred, like I said, has said he's going to look into it. But you know what? Maybe – yeah, maybe there's – maybe the rule needs to be clarified, modified, or changed completely to protect middle infielders because not everybody always gets hurt. But this happens all the time, and it's legal, but it's not necessarily clean. You need the rule. It should be very simple. You should have to be at the bag. Mm -hmm. Your slide should have to be at the bag, and you have to start your slide not on top of the damn bag, but before it. Like I said, you know where the cutout is in the grass around second base on most most fields. Put a semicircle in there. You know that's the free zone extension of the circle, like like the the thing in the the NBA, yeah, Yeah, like defensive. The defensive area in the paint right. underneath. Maybe that's what needs to be done. Maybe, you know, the general rule of thumb is as long as your slide can carry you anywhere so that you can touch the bag, you're safe. The problem with that is when you get a guy like, I'm just going to throw out a name. If Aaron Judge is sliding into second base and his left pinky finger can touch the inside corner of, of second base, there's six, six foot seven inches of man plus another foot and a half of wingspan so the, the shortstop could be seven feet out from the base, and he could still kick him mm-hmm. in the leg. But that, according to the scope of the thought of the rules, that's cool. The rule doesn't say it, but the mm-hmm. rule needs to be changed to uh, you have to uh, you have to atten- no you have to touch the base with a part of your body. If you're sliding you cannot- feet first, it's got to be your feet, and if you're sliding head first, it's got to be either one of your arms. That ha- that has to be the, the the change to the rule right there. Can you hold my mic yes. for a second while I just? Yeah. I don't know. You you people can't see this at home, but I'm holding out my arms now. If I'm sliding head first, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm in a Superman position mm-hmm. right now, what's my what's my wingspan? I'm, I'm not again. I'm not the most you know the most lengthy individual in the world. But what's my wingspan from? It's about where my head is to where the the tip of my pinky finger is about maybe. Two and a half feet, yeah, tops. I was going to give you five feet for the whole thing. For the whole thing, Four so two feet, and five two feet. and a half feet, or feet first. You got to go feet first into the bag. Now, if, even if you're doing a hook slide, again, sh- shoulder with you have to touch That's the, the same bag. thing. Not a rolling chop block where your head after it whiplashes off a guy's leg is the closest thing to yeah, touching. Yeah, yeah, you have to touch the bag, and that's the bottom line. To his credit, the Dodgers starting pitcher Brett Anderson tweeted, and I mentioned this in the reply too that what this boils down to is that maybe there needs to be a rule change. And, of course, you can't ask a Met about it because they're going to be like, no, it's dirty. And you can't ask a Dodger about it because it's like, oh, you can't. And you can't even apparently ask Shane Victorino or guys who played with Utley because it's like, yeah, Utley's a winner. Like, okay, great. Here's the blowhard side of things. And, you know, you listen to sports talk, and the thing is these hosts, they, they were asking Met fans, if that was your guy, you would be saying it was a great play. And you won the game. That's why you can't ask either side. Okay. Let me just say this from being a neutral party. As a baseball fan, what he did was within the current rule structure. But what he did, in my eyes, as a baseball fan, with no dog in the fight, was dirty. 
It's within the rule structure the same way that the daily fantasy sports sites we were talking about earlier are not considered internet gambling. Right. There's the loophole. Right. Which is a whole other thing that's going well, on Well, wait right till now. the government gets into right. their pockets. Going, that's what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. We've reached the magic hour. We have. The LDS is, let me just say, congrats to the Cubs. Awesome uh, for them. I love that yesterday. The talk, the talk can end about whether or not keeping Chris Bryant in the minors for could 12 I, extra days hurt them. Could I, just, could I just ask you, have you ever seen a ball hit harder than Schwarber's home run in the seventh last night? Th- he's a monster. That guy's a monster. I mean, that was one of the – I obviously never saw Babe Ruth hit a baseball uh, in person. But that was – and I might take heat for this. That was Ruthian. Yeah. I've seen film. That was Ruthian. The swing, the flight pattern of the ball, it landed on top of the damn scoreboard. And the Cubs sent a person up there. To verify it. To and verify it, it. there. And they found the, the postseason stamp, and they're leaving it there for the duration of their run. I, I got to tell you, it, it's going to be extremely hard for me to not root for the Cubbies because what that would mean for that fan base after 107 years of waiting, there are people that have gone lifetimes and died and not seen them win a World Series. There's people that, were, that remember the Titanic that don't yeah. remember the Cubs winning yes. a World Series. 1912. Um, the Titanic was four years after the yeah. Tampa Cubs last World um, Series. <laughs> I, I will be rooting personally like as a fan. I will be rooting for whoever comes out of the National League. For this purpose. Number one, if it's the Cubs, the hundred and change year curse is over, and that's an exciting team to watch, full of you amazing got young kids. With the Dodgers. Yeah, Mattingly with the Dodgers and the Mets. And the Mets. It's New York. Yeah. And you know what? Say what you want about me because I'm saying that. Like, oh, they'd be like a Nets fan rooting for the Knicks or the Devils rooting for the Rangers. No, it's not. Because the Yankees and Mets play each other six times a year and don't cross near, near the twain shall meet, other than a Subway series outside of that. And you know what? Mets fans have suffered for a long time, yeah. man. Mets fans have been waiting nine years since Carlos Beltran couldn't get the bat off his shoulder in Game 7 against Adam Wainwright. How about this? We all know Cubs were predicted in Back to the Future 2. To win the World Series. To win the World Series. That movie was based in 1985. And October 21st, 2015 is the day they go forward to. And the Kansas City Royals, and they play today, have not won a World Series since? 1985. How about the Back to the Future series? How about it? I would See, love that. The American League for me, it's like as a fan, I don't want Houston to win because they beat the Yankees. Because I'm a Yankee fan, I don't want Toronto to win because they're I, in the Yankees division. I don't think that way. I, I really don't care. And Kansas City and Texas just do nothing for me. I mean, it's, I, 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 I'm, uh, I got to pull for the Cubbies. I have to say this though: the two ALD, it's it's awesome that we're getting all this baseball. Only one of the four series oh, yeah, didn't game, go the distance. Two game fives. And one again on Yeah, the Cubbies are the only series that didn't go five. That, you know, these two ALDSs are like the perfect example of how you can cherry pick a stat. In the Astros series, the wildcard team should be at a disadvantage. They won game one. They won game three. So they've held the two leads in the series. Mm -hmm. Then on the other side, you've got the the Toronto-Texas series where the road team has won all four games. What about about Gibbons, Gibbons' decision? To use Price in a 7-1 game. And now if they lose that series with Stroman on the mound instead of Price, I know they had to win that game to get back to Toronto, but you had a 7-1 lead when you brought him in. Given the way and Stroman, he gave up three runs. Given the way Stroman pitched versus the way Price pitched in game one, I would say I probably would rather use Stroman in game five anyway, but yes, I agree with you. But here, the road team has won all four games, so how, how important is home field advantage in the it, playoffs? It's not. 
It's not. And can I just bring up one more thing? Yeah. And then we can go. Hmm? I just want to get your thoughts on this. Can, can we stop using hostile environment in the sports vernacular? The Kandahar province, that's a hostile environment. Uh, anywhere ISIS is. Beirut is a hostile environment. Is a hostile environment. Mike Tomlin, after that Steelers-Chargers game on Monday night, in his post-game press conference, said, we went into a hostile environment. Half the freaking stadium was Steeler fans! How ho- Enough with the hostile environment. There are no bullets flying at you when you're playing sports. None. Was Wembley Stadium a hostile environment for the Jets? Oh, my God. I mean, enough already. I can't, Lou, I can't stand it. That is the most asinine thing to say in a post. Well, we went into a hostile environment. No, you didn't. What? Some 10-year-old kid was screaming curse words at you? That makes it hostile? I was going to say, if you're, you know, it's, it's funny how there's data from the end, you know, in the NBA with oh, all the screaming on the, God all the screaming on the free throws doesn't actually hurt. It helps. Like same thing. It's like if you're that distracted by that kind of atmosphere, you shouldn't, you be, shouldn't be a professional. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> Jesus, it's fine. Look, it, can I blame that next week if I suck at darts? That because we're playing at Casey's and not Seasides, right. that I, I went into a hostile environment. You did because well, I don't. Well, in that case, there's darts, so anything could happen. Well, it's plastic tip, but, you know, because I didn't get to control the jukebox. Or, yeah. I didn't get to control the jukebox or have the sliders I like. Judges? Yeah. Judges? No. Anyway, I, I, I had a throw. All this stuff just comes back and, to me. And as my last word, yeah. Giants 24, Eagles 21. I, That's I, my pick. I agree with the closeness, but I flipped that around. The what happened, you mentioned it, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, so I'll mention it in brief, but what happened with the Saints game is that the Eagles played a terrible first half. Bradford probably should have been benched after throwing two red zone interceptions, and, and Chip's, Chip's loyalty to him is almost at this point bordering on... He's got to stay with them. Yeah, almost bordering on, I don't want to make myself look stupid for trading for this guy at if this point. If he pulls him, he looks like a horse's you-know-what. Right. Horses patoot. However, in the second half, the Saints had no pass rush. They're, they're despite dis- Rob, Rob Ryan, despite I, Cameron Jordan's best efforts, they had no pass. How rush. does Rob Ryan have, have they ever been ranked in the top ten there, with that guy? There were the him, there were moments where him and Sean Payton looked like they were about to kill each other on the sidelines that that Fox flipped to. Um, they had no pass rush, so Bradford, who looks like a video game character, the way he moves in the pocket, it's on an axis. He doesn't like actually move; he moves on an axis. Like a South Park character in the olden days? Sort of, yeah. Uh, was able to find receivers despite Jordan Matthews' best efforts to maintain his status as the hot hands Hanan of the NFL, <laughs> to throw a movie reference in there. Little Giants. Little Giants. Um, you know, have despite, you seen Icebox lately? I have. She's a lovely woman. Let me, remind me to tell you a story after okay, the podcast. Uh, despite his best efforts at driving, Josh Huff actually had a productive day, who we hate. Me and my friends as Eagles mm. fans. But what happened is Bradford started hitting these intermediate passes. Guys were making moves. They had to drop guys further back. They couldn't put seven or eight in the box to help with the pass rush. DeMarco Murray and Ryan Matthews started lighting them on stretch plays. The Giants aren't going to have that problem. The Giants' linebacking core may be held together with string well, and duct well, tape. Well, Beeson's back, which is big. So, But the Giants do have a pass rush. So A little bit. That will, that will help. A little bit. A little bit. That and, will help. And they're third, I think, against the run. Right. So that's going to help. Also, a lot. yeah, New Orleans secondary is is awful too. So. I would I would beg Bradford to beat me with those receivers mm-hmm. and his brutalness. 
if the Giants can stuff stuff the running game early and, and get any semblance of a pass rush, the Giants' corners are better than the than the Eagles' wide receivers. Yeah, I would take DRC and, and Amukamara and even the safeties over that group, mm-hmm. and that's why I think it's going to be a giant win because I I think that's Philly's issue. Plus, they're 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 a team that shows up for thirty minutes of a sixty minute game. They look like crap for half the game and look like world beaters for the other half. And the question of how many games they're going to win is. How, how much world beating will it take to overcome the crap, you know, and kind of thing? How bad can we play and still overcome it? For yeah. lack of a better well, way to put it, we don't agree on the final score, but we 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 do agree on one thing, and that is that there'll be uh, more commercial time than actual action yes. time in this game, online, and probably which is unbearable. And I'm so over. glad, so glad this is the Giants' last national game, prime time game, because I cannot stand it. I can also put the over-under on, like, 20 of those sweet Thai chili wings that I'm going to hammer down in the, in the course of that four hours. What do you mean by yourself? What, are you going to bite my hand if I try to get one? No, we'll just have to order 50. Oh, all right. That's fine. <laughs> that's your last uh, first quarter. Yes. Anyway, uh, for Lou DiPietro, that's at Lou DiPietro, yes. I am at Chris Sheeran, yes. It's just so damn easy doing this with Lou. We'll see you next time, everybody. Peace.